You are listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review Podcast. We find little nuggets, treasures, valuable pieces of gold in the Joe Rogan Experience Podcast and pass them on to you, perhaps expand a little bit. We are not associated with Joe Rogan in any way. Think of us as the talking dead to Joe's walking dead. You're listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review. What a bizarre thing we've created. Now with your host, Adam Thorne. This might either be the worst podcast or the best one of all time. One, go. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the JRE Review. This week, we have Chris Williamson, Sam Tripoli, Jeremy Corbell, UFO extraordinaire. Joined as always by Todd Lee. What's happening? Hey, buddy. Good week on the pod. What'd you think? Yeah, what? really good. Interesting. Did, did you have a favorite this week? It's got to be Chris, man. Yeah, I think Chris was my favorite too. Never had never heard of the guy. Loved his. Uh, I just loved his energy and just. I mean, he's only thirty four. I would have never guessed that. Mm. I would have never guessed his age. Yeah, he seemed wise. <clears throat> he's had access to a lot of. Very fascinating people, and what I like about it is, like, he seems in this, like, intensive study of behavior and reflection. I mean, how many times did he talk about – it seemed like to me that the most important thing that he's learned in his life is to say that he was wrong. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Or And also, I mean, he, we'll get into this, but at the end, he really – talked about how you pick a few things that you're really good at or really figure out what you suck at, right? Mm. Figure out what you suck at. And that was that was near the end of the pod, but it, it reminded me of he really knows what he wants and he's so passionate about getting there and talking to the right people to get there. Yeah, I mean, look, he's obviously been a popular person, a, you know, a great networker. I mean, this is what those club promoters are all about. Yeah. But I think it gets to a point where you realize the the pinnacle of that type of life in a lot of ways is just like girls, parties, personas. And like he was saying, he wasn't sleeping. He felt depressed. He couldn't understand why his life should have been the ultimate best thing ever. Right. It wasn't working. Yeah. And that's... That is probably like a scary thing for people because then, I mean, what's he going to do? Turn around and be like, well, I'm still handsome, in great shape. Everybody wants to hang out with me, yet I feel terrible and I have money. Like, how do I justify this? Well, so, I mean, he was saying he, he, kept, um, he kept personifying like different people, right? He was mm. he was a different person depending on who he talked to, right? So he, I think he just felt fake, dude. Yeah, he just felt this, like a fake person. He wasn't himself. There's so much fakeness in that lifestyle, though. That's it for man. sure. I mean, it's fun, and probably everyone's like, "Man, I wish I could be cool like that guy," and he doesn't even know who he was. I mean, I think it's just a part of life. You realize you get you grow out of wanting to party all the time. Hopefully. I mean, even if you don't have kids, he doesn't have kids, but he realized that this lifestyle, I mean, obviously isn't sustainable, but f he just realized that it wasn't for him. And I think a lot of people just pretend, and he didn't want to pretend anymore. He didn't mm -hmm. want to pretend to be this 
promoter dude anymore because it wasn't fulfilling. Like you said, he wasn't sleeping and he was, he's like, fuck it. I gotta, I gotta figure something out. I wonder if he knew some promoters that were like five or 10 years older than him that were still like in the game. It's like when you work at a bar and like working in really popular bars is fun when you're young. It's great. Right, right. You get to know everyone. You have some drinks. You get paid good money. Like it's, it's a fun time. But there's always a few people that work in that bar that are older, quite a bit older sometimes. They often have drinking problems. There's often quite a bit of depression in there, and they feel trapped because they kind of missed a window to get out and do something else. Yeah. Maybe saw some of those promoters and was like, oh, my God, I can't be this. I think so. He he must have. I mean, he didn't he didn't really mention that there was a huge downfall or a come to you know Jesus moment with him. I don't think he hit rock bottom. He he didn't talk about that. He just no. he just said he just I felt knew this terrible wasn't for me. Yeah, like he just didn't feel good and and wanted to feel better, you know. And now has gone into the Modern Wisdom podcast, which I have not checked out yet. I'm curious to do it. It yeah. sounds good. Yeah, I wrote it down. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, but it, definitely a very inspiring guy, right? Absolutely. What did, what did you think about, I mean, you're from the UK. He, he talked about people from the UK not really inclined like people from the States in getting things done and really having this extra drive to really perform better and be anything you want to be mentality that, that Americans well, have. It's North I, Americans. Yeah, I don't think it's so much that. Like there are plenty of people in England that are very successful and do very well. Yeah. But they're not as encouraging. But that seems to be coming up over and over on Rogan podcasts. Yeah, what is that? Like they don't want people to do good. I I don't know, but I know that it's true. Like, in general, and I'm not speaking for everybody in the UK, like, there are supportive people there. But generally, they kind of talk you out of difficult pursuits that you want to go for, you know? They'd be like, ah, you know, you should probably just stay at this corporate job that's a good job and then do the college. And, I mean, if you just wanted to jump into something wilder, maybe more creative, if you were like, oh, I want to be a stand-up comedian or a YouTuber or... I mean, when I moved to L.A., I got a lot of support, and I found my community for stand-up, and they were like, yeah, this is great. Do it. Put it your all in. I mean, it it doesn't happen as much over there. Hmm. I mean, how many British people have been on Rogan and said the same thing? Yeah. I mean, at least those two guys last week, Yeah, Chris, um, you know, I can think of a couple of others. It's, It's something people notice, and the Brits that I know that, don't see it that way they haven't spent any time in the u.s they it just the u.s is people here are like i they just watch your passion and they love to see people with passion and going for something and they be they often are generally supportive i mean these are all generalizations but yeah but, I, it, but it's i've seen it it's up. allowed me to do things like podcasting it's allowed me to do things like stand-up you know, it's like, I don't know if I could have just focused on those things almost exclusively if I'd lived mm-hmm. in England. Yeah, I, he didn't mention actual negative role models that he had personally, but I 
I really enjoyed his the mentioning of negative role models being just as important as positive role models. I thought that was really cool. Mm. You know, it seeing other people fuck up <laughs> is probably just as good. I mean, you mentioned it. Maybe he had a club promoter that he saw kind of on this downward spiral. Who knows? But having that to look at and say, "Oh my God, I don't want to. I don't want that to happen to me in ten years. I better figure out what I want to do and do it and go hard." Yeah, I mean, it's kind of useful, right? I mean, you you see a bunch of people driving on a road, and one guy takes a corner too fast and slips off. You're like, "Don't want to do that," right? It's it's somewhat useful, but saying that, if what's the best way to exist? To be surrounded by incredible role models or surrounded by a bunch of terrible ones and just try not to do what they did. That's a slippery slope. Like yeah. you still need to gravitate towards really good role models to get yourself out of the chaos. Yeah, I think it I think the the healthy mix of having both, right? They always talk about surrounding yourself with the you know, who do you surround yourself with, right? Maybe you don't want those six people. I think they say five or six people that you spend most of your time with are kind of the most important role models you have, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe one of those people is a piece of shit. I don't know. Or maybe that's just on the outskirts. Maybe that's just someone that you just know you don't want to be like, so you're not hanging out with that person. But knowing that seems important. But maybe you also are. You're just so amused by this person that you still hang out with them and it might be something to reflect on yeah you know i'm not trying to encourage people to just like <laughs> did your friends but if you got well, like one real wild card you probably got to be pretty careful yeah he chris seemed very interested in masculinity in the in the modern world and rogan talks about this a lot i don't know what the answer is i don't know you know what did he say? There are there are positive aspects of masculinity still that maybe we don't see as being positive now in the modern world, like taking care of of women and you know, yes, opening the door for women, obviously that's something that looks yeah, we look at positively, but there's some things that maybe look misogynistic that in the past were just masculine things. And so where do we stand? I mean, that's a question we can't answer. But it it seems to be something that he's very concerned about or he thinks about a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a masculine man, so he's thought about this a lot. And really, what is the answer out there? I mean, you have to support the people you're with. You know, if you're a man in a relationship, I mean, we were talking about it earlier, right? Yeah. We bring... We try to bring the best versions of ourselves to the table because there's lots of ways you can – we actively fuck things up all the time, like you and I even do it. As men, yes. Yeah, of course, and in general. Yeah. But if you bring the best self to the table and then, you know, whatever energy is left over, you give it to your relationship in that sense, right? At, at best. Otherwise, you're always at some sort of deficit. And maybe that's what the masculine message is, you know? I like that message, just being the best version of yourself regardless if, I mean, it's strange to think that some things that used to be looked 
you know, like you're a, like you're a, a big man or you're you're a strong man are now looked upon negatively. I don't know. I don't know if we need to get into that. But well, but it's it's kind of related to men not expressing their emotions. So yeah, you're strong. You go to work. You do all your things. You get home. You're hardened, and yeah, you've got no like emotional energy for your family. Yeah, because you're kind of cold. Because that was an effective way during hard times of being. You let any of the different emotions in, that's seen as a kind of weakness. Right. And, you know, that's how you harden yourself against the difficulties of the world. Right. So the new masculinity then is to let those emotions out and talk about them, as as women like to do. Talk about their emotions more so than men. I mean... Not always, but I would say in general. I don't want to generalize, but in general, I mean, yeah, women want to talk about emotions. Are you saying that is that the new masculinity? I'm saying there's a time and a place. Like that's a useful skill too to be able to just lock it off, right? If you're in a very male-dominated workplace, you just got to be that guy, you know. A lot of times, hide your emotions. Nah, I don't know if that's really the best way to do it. But well, there are all times you got to lock it down. I mean, if you just start crying in a meeting all of a sudden because you've been emotionally effective, affected, that's probably not going to work out well for you. Right. It's going to look strange. Right. But to get home and not be able to express how you're feeling is, is going to cause some problems. And, you know, women often know how to kind of receive that and hear it and they want to express it so we kind of you know if that's your partner the door is open to that you, you, uh, maybe just to men be. don't do it all the time well but I it, but I, I i would say that i think that that's part of a new masculinity that we're experiencing in the modern world is that men are starting to experience that more more emotional side i don't think they're becoming less of a man because of that they're becoming more of a man Dude, Rogan cries on the podcast fairly often. Dude, I cry. I cried on a Subaru commercial when the kid got off the bus and went to run for his mother. You having a rough dad. day? No, I just am a dad now, so I just could. I just felt that emotion <laughs> from a stupid Subaru commercial. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that, man. Yeah, I mean, whatever, dude. I'm not ashamed of it. Right? Is that masculinity to not be ashamed of those things? Probably owning how you feel is masculine. And he does, Chris seems to do that. You mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they also mentioned some weird shit about... I don't oh, know. psychopaths? Dude, that, yep, that's one I had notes on. Yeah, let's get into that. Dude. <laughs> like... Scary. What I find interesting about that is he talked about the researcher that could scan your brain and basically see that you're a psychopath. And then they had the control group out of the psychopaths, and it turned out the guy doing the study was a psychopath. Was the guy that had all the... Yeah. And when he looked into, you know, basically spoke to his family about it, or maybe somebody else did those interviews because that would be a better scientific approach, they were like, yeah, you're pretty closed off. You do this and that. But he's also not out there, like, killing animals and uh, acting on it. Right. But that gene is there. Whatever that is. What do you say, like 1%? I didn't write down the percentage. It wasn't, it wasn't a high percentage, but he, they God. did get into hereditary stuff and how crazy that is. Like taking two twins and realizing that 
no matter if they lived in the same spot or not. Like I, I swear they were talking about twins and how hereditarily they will have a percentage that's way higher, whether they're alcoholics or whether they're they have they suffer from depression or I don't think they got there's a, into there's a big genetic component for sure. Absolutely. Because like he said, nobody denies height. That's oh, like that's the ninety percentile. Right. You know? My dad right. was six five, um six three, a little shorter, but my mom is tiny. Right. So but I still got a lot of that, right? But so then also it wouldn't be crazy to think that I wouldn't pick up a lot of his mannerisms. Now I never knew my biological father. He left before I was born. But my mom used to say that I exhibited behaviors that she'd only ever seen in him. Right. And then I did it. Which maybe maybe she's just reaching. I don't know. But maybe also there's some things happening there. I see it in my two year old already and it scares the crap out of me. <laughs> as far as just being impatient. Like if he gets mad at something, he'll throw his fucking fork down on the table. I don't know if other two year olds do that, but I know I did that when I was a two year old. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh there's gotta be I mean, why why would there not be that? And and then it also brings it to what he said, like how responsible then are people for their behaviors? I mean, we have laws, you gotta hold everybody to the same sort of standard. But we all know people that struggle much harder with their own aggression than others, and that's gonna get them in trouble. And if that is hereditary, like, it's a real bummer for them, you know, because it's almost not their choice in a sense. So it's not my fault that I have a temper? Mm. (laughs) Well, but who knows? I mean, it's hereditary. Let's say that, let's just, for the sake of argument, 50% is genetics and 50% is environment. So it's kind of like a coin toss, but it really then is your responsibility. Like, let's say you identify something about yourself. Like let's pick temper. Yeah. Let's say that I have a temper. You is, okay. Yeah. So then it's very important for you, I would say to like bring the controllable 50% up to its max. Yeah. Because you've got to stave off this compulsion that maybe is the uncontrollable factor. Whereas other parts of you are in good shape because you're just good at this. It's easy for you. You can just do it, right? So you already have like some genetic gift on that end. Yeah, you don't necessarily need to build up that end of it as importantly. Yeah. Maybe that's it's a interesting, thing. man. It's Dude, interesting. He had he had some fascinating um, elements of his thinking. I have I have one more thing before we before we stop talking about Chris Williamson. The right at the end, he's he was talking about you know picking the things I mentioned this earlier, picking the things that you suck at or you are are okay with sucking at and focusing on the things you want to be good at or you really want to strive for mm-hmm. and not trying to do everything right. And this one really stuck with me. He said. Um, procrastination is perfectionism masquerading as quality control. 
and what he meant by that. And th- this one struck me because I'm a big procrastinator and I'm always like, oh, I'm a perfectionist, whatever. Dude, it's because exactly what he said. He said, I'm not, I don't want to do a thing until I know the exact direction I want to go, right? So I want to make it, like if I wanted to, you know, do a podcast, for example, I want to make sure that it, I know the, like what the solution is for the podcast and what we're going to try to do and really have like a modus operandi really nailed down before I start it. So then I never start it, right? Because I'm just trying to make it perfect. Uh-huh. I mean, he nailed it with that I've one. Se- I've seen you do that too. Yeah. yeah. And it yet, was great. Yeah. What's funny is when you just finally go and do one, it's fine. It's yeah. good. Just do it. Yeah. And I'm not, I, qu- I'm not quoting Nike there, but just do it. <laughs> dude, that's the greatest slogan of all time. And why that... If, if that was the Dalai Lama that said that, it would literally be one of the most amazing quotes that have been repeated for all of time. It's like E equals MC squared. It just narrows it down to nothing because it's connected to a sneaker. Yeah. It loses credibility, but that's, that's a good... It's, it's a great saying. Yeah. Shout out to Nike. Not a sponsor today. Not a sponsor. But also shout out to Nike. Doing some good things. All right. Let's jump over to um, Sam Tripoli and get into this lunatic. And by lunatic, all due respect. In a good way. You know, I used to see him often at the comedy store. He's been a comedian for a very long time, has fantastic podcasts, and, you know, knows everyone in the comedy world. Good comedian, too. When any time that I've seen him perform at the store, he was great. But what I used to love about Sam is he spent a lot of time at the front bar, which is kind of like this outside area of the comedy store where everyone hangs out, like everyone has access to it. And he would come by, he would talk to everybody, for one, which is always a cool thing that I like to see from comics. You know, they never thought they were too big for them, you know, their own boots. Like, he would, like, walk up to security and just start, hey, did you hear about this? What happened in China? And, like, some sort of conspiracy thing that he would get into and he'd get everyone riled up. And people were used to it. So they were, like, waiting for, like, his daily update just a great character. Waiting for that coke energy because he has it without being a cokehead anymore. I mean, he cl- he's sober now. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it just maybe that just gets into your DNA. He, no, he he has it no matter what. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy's got some energy, and he has a lot of good. Joe had to keep him uh, on track a few times. Bless him. Like, he wanted to get ahead of himself so many times and so quickly. It was like, oh, dear. Here we go. Yeah, my my notes are all over the place with this <laughs> one, buddy. What uh, is that HD, ADHD squared when you're taking dude, notes on that guy? Dude, what was it? Here, what, what do we got? Oh, at the beginning, he did say we are so much more alike than we are different. I love that. It's I very love true. That. It it's is. So Whether true. we like it or not, it is. You and I have talked about this. Mm-hmm. There's 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 small amounts of things that make us different from each other. The powers that be seem to want to just create this conflict, and I just really appreciated that comment from him, and he said it early on. And it's true. Yeah, with the, with the same species. He also said he wanted to become a wizard, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's he's definitely gone down some rabbit holes for sure. For sure. I mean, there, there's a lot here, man. What do you, what do you have? I've got Admiral Bird from Antarctica. I've got mm. Operation High Jump. I've got, I mean that yeah that Admiral Bird Bird thing. Let's get into it. In Antarctica, mm-hmm. this was in the '60s. The '60s or '70s? I didn't write down a date. Yeah, like a deal with when the Eisenhower UFOs? when Eisenhower was in was the president, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or was he vice? I don't know. Well, that was right before JFK, right? So I th- uh, yeah, okay, so he I was president. Meeting, you know, they had like 600 troops. I actually looked it up. No shit. Yeah, I this looked it up. Real? There was there was there was 600 troops there, uh-huh. and they they wanted to test vehicles in the Arctic region, right, in the cold weather. And I mean, a- according to what Sam said, and according to I think they looked up it they looked it up on Wikipedia. So who knows that they found some notes from this admiral. Right, so a journal of his, like later on, and he had mentioned that he met with some Nazis up there that had seen aliens, right? And the aliens came down and talked to the Nazis, right? And and then and then he got into saying that that they made a deal with the with these beings, right? According to this dude's journal, that they wouldn't go to war or they wouldn't do something, and then. If if the aliens could basically abduct people in national forests, that's what I got out of it. What? Yeah, and that's why he he was talking about these missing four hundred and eleven people missing f- since then, and they've all, you know, become they they became missing in national forests. So kind of a weird thing. But anytime someone's been abducted, according to this, from what they were talking about, has been in national forests. Well, I mean, let's do the math. So, and they're also saying that the people that were abducted are German born and highly educated. So, I don't know where you want to take that one. <laughs> well, let's let's just break that down. Let's see. That's only like um 7 people a year. It's not the it's not a crazy deal. So, it was a good deal. And we they got brought back <laughs> a little bit of PTSD. I mean, I'm not saying it's a fun time, but there's worse deals the government has made, let's be honest. If that's true. Well, according to Sam, it's a, we're having a spiritual war. And look, uh, hey, man, a lot of the stuff that he is saying, I, I don't completely disagree with. Like, I, I'm a, I have an open mind, as you do. Mm-hmm. But there was just so many that I, I could, it was hard to follow because there were so many yeah. conspiracies. And Joe had to kind of put him in his place a little bit. Like, okay, like when in... When the he pulled up the website that showed kind of like the plot, quote unquote, for COVID. Well, if before there was any sort of pandemic, we had to, we got smart people together to like create a plan for how to deal with it. It might be fairly similar, like especially if it was just a thought project. It was just, it wasn't something. Not saying that they wouldn't have taken it seriously, but they're like, okay. This probably isn't going to happen, but if it did, this is a way to deal with it. It would be fairly similar to how it went down, you know. I mean, I I think the Wuhan. I, I know we're not supposed to call it the Wuhan flu. That's bad, but I do think that it. The Kung I, flu. I I agree with Joe when he's when he mentions that it was a, a 
thing being worked on, a virus being worked on in China. You know, Trump opened that back up. They were working on that stuff again. They already had a bunch of health regulations and violations at that particular lab. I don't think it came from a bat. I think it just, it happened. And then we had to figure out what the heck we were going to do. Like, how are we going to fix this? I don't think we're smart enough to have this crazy plan to take over the world with a virus. I, that That's insane. But, yeah, Sam, you know, I appreciate Sam's thought process in this, and I love the guy. I well, get- we, we need people like this, though. Yeah. We need people that are, like, as suspicious as he is because it, it raises the questions that then we can examine. And it's okay to dismiss it if we think, all right, we looked at this, but no. You know, but it, imagine if nobody was raising those questions. Imagine if everyone was like, oh, well, this can't be a conspiracy of any kind, and it's and we just accept it, and we deal with the problem, and then nobody is, like, bringing this stuff up. Right. That could be worse, you know? And I, is... I think he's he's happy to just be seen as a bit of a kook. Yeah, he doesn't care. That's, nah. that's why you got to love the guy. He's brave. How about the regenerative farming? Um, well, more so the lab, lab-grown oh. steak. Oh, I want to try some of that stuff, dude. How I, good did that steak look? I've I've heard about this stuff. I had never seen a photo of it until they brought it up, and it looks like a really good piece of Wagyu beef. I mean, I want to try it. And, dude, and um, it looks good. so good, I'm suspicious. How good would that be for the world, though? I mean, that in my mind, that's the biggest problem as far as, I mean, it trumps... Uh, transportation as far as co2 and the methane gas and everything they were talking about mm-hmm. cows burping which i hadn't heard of i guess the according to joe he was saying the burps are actually worse than the farts <laughs> when yep. it comes to cows but I really i think it's the deforestation right as well right because everybody's eating meat and mm. we like meat okay so how it. yeah i love meat Cows had are two steaks go yesterday, so we have to figure out. I love this idea of what were they calling it? Cultured meat, cellular agriculture. Mm. Let's go. Well, I mean, think about the bioharvest stuff. I mean, that is what we were talking about with the growing supplements in a lab. I mean, yeah, that's the next gen. Seems I like mean, the future. So if we can just do that across the board and it tastes as good and takes no energy, I mean, you know, people that love animals, though, are going to be upset because a lot of cows are going to die because we won't need as many because they're pretty useless. What are we going to do? Have, like, wild cows? I mean, they said, what, farmers make up 1% of the population on on Earth? We're going to – a lot of farmers are going to go out of business if this – stuff takes off and i think it needs to that's true because it'll all be lab stuff maybe this is what bill gates is planning by buying all this land what's he gonna do with the land i don't know just own it (laughs) well that would be nice put labs on that why doesn't he buy the rainforest then come on bill he probably has i hope he has and i hope he doesn't do anything with it because wow. there's probably a lot of plants and different medicines that we haven't even... I mean, there's animals we haven't even discovered in those rainforests, dude. What about all the Germans in Argentina? 
Oh, should we look into that? It was killing me because he kept calling it Bariloche, and I have been to Bariloche. I've been there, and it's an amazing place. And I, it was weird because when I was there, I remember thinking, "Why the fuck does this look like a German town?" What? I swear to God, I've been there. I no traveled shit. there. Yeah, my girlfriend back in 2008, I think I went. She was studying in Argentina. I was in college, or maybe I just graduated. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd actually been out of college for a few years already. I went down there to visit, and I was I spent probably a week, maybe a week and a half in Bariloche. It is beautiful. It looks a lot like Montana, lakes, mountains. There's a ski hill there. Um, yeah, you're in the you're in the Andes. It's freaking incredible, but it looks like a German town. I was so confused when I was there. I was, it's not like I was asking people why does this town look German, and then there you go. It's because fucking Nazis discovered that town. <laughs> Jesus, crazy. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a German town, and you're in the middle of Argentina. It's so weird. Huh? You didn't ever ask anybody. I just thought it was like a thing that they were trying to do to make it cool. You know, like oh, we're gonna make this like a theme town. You know, they they have that in the states. Fair enough. I oh, don't know. like Disneyland. No, they like um, well, Leavenworth, Washington, is an example that I'm thinking of. But I think a lot of Germans live there. I mean, you were young. Maybe you just didn't think of asking that question. I definitely didn't think of asking the question. I thought it was cool. I was like, oh, it looks like a German theme town. This is fun. It's also kind of weird. You got to bring up those questions, though. <laughs> and this is what Sam's all about. Legend. Come on, Sam. I think he has like 14 podcasts, too. And I'm pretty sure they're all about conspiracy theory. So if you're into it. Listen to as many of them as you can. He, I think he used to have a one called the Tin Foil Hat one. Yeah, with yep. uh, Eddie Bravo. Maybe it still does. I've listened to a couple of those. They're very funny. Very funny. We got to get Eddie Bravo back on. All right, let's jump over to Jeremy Corbell. Jeremy, Jeremy. You know, this guy is the guy that will announce that we found aliens, for sure. I got to say, though, why, I, I keep coming back to this, why, I mean, Snowden said that he looked into it and he didn't find anything. It makes me think, like, did somebody, did someone tell Snowden, if you come out to the world and tell people that there's no UFOs, like, is he going to get no, some sort of... No, he doesn't give a fuck. He went to he, Russia. Right, so why doesn't, why didn't he find something? Okay, I have a theory for this. Let's hear it. Bear with me. Okay. So we found the first, like, um, UFO, potentially, at Roswell. It may be. Okay? That was, 1950? Okay. Something like that. Maybe. I can't remember. Let's look it up. Um, so we find this this craft. Okay, maybe you could look it up while I'm telling I'll, the I'll story. I'll look it up. You tell the story. All right. And so we set up some sort of government kind of body to research this technology like we have it in front of us. So everything is paperwork, right? Filing cabinets, paperwork, secure bases. We're expanding these bases, increasing security. We create Area 51. Um, what is it? The, um, S2? 
I that think. Was, yeah, that was the other, that was the other is, one that uh, Lazar was working at, right? Right. And it was 1947 was when, they, okay. was when the Roswell incident occurred. Right. So just a couple of years after the nuke was dropped, which is interesting. Kind of talk makes, about that a lot. About how they we saw a, they they have seen a bunch of UFOs mm-hmm. since then, right? And we were doing a bunch of testing with nukes after that, especially the Russians and the Americans were too, like bigger and bigger nukes, like way bigger than we dropped there. Because one was an atomic bomb, then we made the hydrogen bomb. I think that was bigger. It just kept going. So we slowed down on that because we realized it was a problem. But anyway, back to the idea of where it is. So it's all paperwork, and then we carefully can control where the information goes, right? Files aren't being sent places. They're only carefully being sent within places. Years later, the internet is created, right? What was it, like early 90s? I mean, I know Rogan talked to that guy that like kind of invented the internet in maybe the 70s, but it was like four computers. Mm -hmm. I mean, the government sends a lot of their information. I see where you're going. Back and forth through the internet, secured folders and files and and everything's protected and all the rest of it. But maybe with that program, because it's like, if you think about it, they have a ship. It's technology that can change the world, dominate the world. It has all the answers and we just have to figure it out. It may be the most protected thing that we've ever controlled. So they just never digitized those files. Right. They just kept everything that locked down to where it's like old school. Because there was, even from the first day of sharing information online, people could hack it. And they just felt like from day one, there's no advantage to putting it out there. So then you've got Edward Snowden, who has access to everything the NSA has, Right, mm-hmm. the only and and there's no information on there because they've just not put anything from the government in that like that area of data sharing. The only fail to this little theory that I have is that there would be some people that would know about it that would share some things like how can Bob Lazar be really the only major semi-credible source that had this information. Like, you're telling me all the people that worked at Area S2 or whatever it was, uh, no one else said anything? Well, No one. How many times did Jeremy reference shit's about to get real and, it, and it's coming? And it, I mean, they put out that panel recently. That was like a year ago, right? Mm-hmm. Where they... For whatever reason, they didn't tell us a ton of things, but they brought it up and they acknowledged that things were happening. And he's saying that now everything is declassified. Well, not everything's declassified, but what what he was mentioning is that people can now come out and be whistleblowers and not be reprimanded for it, right? Because I didn't really understand why. I think it was because there's so many agencies that were secretive, that maybe even the Pentagon didn't even realize were happening. And so those the members of the Pentagon are getting upset that there's these agencies that they don't know about, even though they should have clearance on this stuff. So there was secret 
you know, finding there was there were secret societies, or I, you shouldn't call them I shouldn't call them societies, secret um, government agencies. government. Thank you, government agencies happening within the government that the government agents should have known about, but they didn't. So there's secrets going on within our government, and now people are upset about it. Is is what he kept referencing. Well, it doesn't really help the Pentagon if there's even things they can access. Right. And so I don't know the governing body that is now saying that they won't get reprimanded for it. Like if you come out and you, and granted you say something happened like Lazar did, see, they, they were able to ostracize him because he was already out of the, the agency, right? They already kicked him out. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, they actually were trying to be nice because his wife had a affair and they were trying to not let him know that that was happening, right? I d- I d- they weren't being nice. They just felt like if he found out, he's going to become the wild card that he oh, became anyway. That's what it was. Yeah, they were like, this is the sort of psychology that would cause someone to have a breakdown and then not give a fuck and then spill the beans. Which he did anyway. He did anyway. So Good job, Bob. get a better system. The crazy thing, and he and Jeremy kept referencing that they've been seeing these orbs that look like they're they're circles. They they kept saying tic tacs, right? These tic tac objects, like they're it's a circle around a sphere around a square, right? Um, and they've been seeing these for well, that's not the tic the tic tac will be like a tic tac shape, like well, a but long that, cylindrical cigar looking. Right, but I think that the spheres that he was talking about, I guess so, it, more of a cylinder. Okay, yeah. Right? Yeah, right. Um, they've been seeing these since, basically since the since the 50s, or since, <clears throat> excuse me, since, uh, uh, excuse me, since Roswell. They've been seeing these same things mm-hmm. all over the sky, and they can't, they can't really get a grasp on filming them correctly, right? It's it's always been a problem, right? And that's what's so weird. All the, all this evidence they have is like shitty camera footage from some dude's plane in the Navy or some like radar in the Navy. I mean, listen, it's compelling if you understand the technology, but how many people do? If you're like a radar tech and an infrared tech and an ultraviolet tech plus uh, whatever else, than a sonar tech, then yeah, you might be able to like look at all the levels of the data and be like, there is no way this wasn't what the thing is. But who, what regular people can like decipher that? What are we going to believe the person that's saying it? I mean, I'm inclined to, but look at Jeremy's story. He finally saw a UFO. Yeah. He was blown away. He said he'd been practicing the quick draw with his phone to film it, which we all think about doing, and phones are good these days. Maybe they weren't that great when he saw this. Well, it was before his film, so they probably weren't that great, but still. Yeah, but he had it, and he still didn't pull it out, and he's the guy for it, right? So if he struggles to do it, and I don't believe, I don't think he's lying. No. I, I, then it's just, this is like a big problem. Because it's so overwhelmingly weird and fascinating that you just kind of want to like take the moment in. Because if you think about it selfishly, 
you want to see it for you. Yeah. Okay, you we're going to struggle to like convince other people, but for you, for your existence in this life, you'll get to see this, take it all in and be like, holy shit. Now I know for sure myself and no one's going to be able to persuade me. I just am still like dumbfounded that people have not got like a better version of the it's like every day I almost just expect someone to be like oh yeah I finally got it and it's like 4k zoomed in undeniable shooting through the clouds you know you would think you would think man you would think they'd be there I I, I love hearing the amount of people who have claimed to see these UFOs and whether they were probably close encounters, the people that have had close encounters that see whatever metallic, um, you know, whatever metal or whatever they're using to create these crafts, it doesn't have rivets. It doesn't have seams. They're just like a fucking blob of metal. Well, shit, dude. We can 3D print stuff. No yeah. doubt they could. Why would they True. have, like, a manufacturing assembly but, line of, dude, like, bolts and nails? But they all say no sonic boom. And this has been going on since the 50s. They've been mm-hmm. saying this. Before people could whip out their phones and look at these things, no sonic boom moving, you know, from 80,000 feet or probably more, but we can't see any higher, all the way down into the ocean. What did he call them? Um... Uh, these these material like the material science that we have does not hold up to what we're seeing, and the and the physics doesn't hold up to what we're seeing. But all of these stories seem to corroborate with each other. Like they're all the same. Yeah. Like they can go left, right, up and down. They can turn. There's no sonic boom. There's no there's the the speed is incredible. We're not hearing different um stories of these sightings and and maybe that's because everyone who's talked in the past maybe people are you know referencing that i don't know it seems to me like it's plausible i mean i i believe in ufos that being said whether i believe in them or not all of these stories seem to be they seem to have the same idea at like what they're seeing looks the same, acts the same, you know, it's an orb, it, it can go up and go down, it doesn't have any of the physics we see in the natural world, there's no rockets, there's no sound, I mean, it, it just... Yeah, I mean, if imagine if somebody comes out, they have a story, and they're like, yeah, it looked like a, like a cylinder, like we've heard, but then it just took off, and there was a sonic boom, and there were rockets on the back... And you'd be like, wait a second, that just sounds like something we would make. Right. But we're not hearing that. And what struck me that I've not really thought about before is all the under the water stuff that they were talking about. Like how the government has all this, all these systems of sonars and like detection stuff under the water, which let's be fair, no one else is going to have that. Right. They just won't. Maybe a ship that's like close by might have some of it, 
you know, all those like deep sea explorers that, you know, like that craft that um, went down to the Titanic or whatever, maybe they, but it's only, that's all short range. Mm-hmm. And the government is the only one that has that technology, the military probably. And we don't have any of that information. Well, I want it. I, I was interested uh, hearing the, the this Havana syndrome. They were talking about people who have had close encounters. They have It's called Havana syndrome, where the radiation from whatever craft they saw is basically blocking a portion of their brain. And I can't remember what specific portion of the brain, but it's the same in every single instance of someone who has seen a UFO at close proximity. Mm-hmm. They're calling it the Havana syndrome. And and I remember this one because I just watched a Netflix um, special on the Skinwalker Ranch down in Utah. It's this area in Utah that they're having a lot of crazy sightings and different energy that's happening, like huge amounts of radiation. And one of the guys that worked down there, his fucking brain swelled up. Like he went into some hole. They found some hole on the top of this uh, uh, ridge that they were walking. And they went down there with like the detectors that will detect the amount of radiation that's in the area. It's in the atmosphere. They go down in this hole and he goes down there. He's like, oh man, I've got a crazy headache. Like, oh my God, I feel queasy. And he walks out of there. And I don't know if he's the guy who ended up having a Vanna syndrome. They didn't say initially who it was. They just said that someone at Skinwalker Ranch had the, you know, was, had the Havana syndrome, which, you know, is the same thing that some of these pilots have had in the past that have had close encounters with, with aliens. So I don't know, man, there's, there's some crazy radiation going on with, with, with these beings or these, whatever it is that people are seeing. That does seem to come up. Like, even the people abducted at times have had burns and weird different things. And then later, you know, I think they may have had cancer if they had been abducted. And you would have thought the aliens would have figured that out, right? Like, why wouldn't they, if they can do everything they can do, why wouldn't they just be like, all right, we need some radiation shielding on this? Maybe that's something they they don't need to worry about. They don't need to worry about that. They're not worried about that. Well, let's jump to what Rogan thought these aliens were. He <laughs> thinks interdimensional. Okay. Right. I like that. Though he's done a lot of DMT. So, or enough. He's seen, you know, things in that realm and and maybe he's making like a a comparison, you know, trying to cross it over, you know. I mean, well, since we, we're just yeah. playing a kind of thought um, experiment here. I like to think that it's time travelers. I don't know why. I mean, it could be anything. I have no idea. But, you know, I just, it seems to make sense to my, like my mind just jumps there that, okay, it's us in the future coming back. You think so? Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just kind of think that. What do you think? I mean, I think Jesus was an alien. Can I go there? <laughs> so there, there you, you go. You just got canceled. <laughs> Thanks for being a part um, of the podcast. Look, it's hard to say. I do believe in them, absolutely. 
I want to believe that they are here to help us. I don't want to believe that they are here to destroy us. It seems to me that if they just started coming up when we figured out how to make an atom bomb, that they're trying to make sure that we don't mess this place up. Yeah, but saying that, there's like prehistoric, like not well, there's that too. There's like old ass art that shows UFOs. Yeah, that, I, he mentioned that. He mentioned right. art from the 1700s. Um, you know, it was, I don't know if it was John or Matthew or who it was in the photo, but there was a disc in the sky and it looked like a UFO. It, you know, it could have just been a hole in the sky that he was drawing. I don't know. I didn't see the photo. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, again, I think they've been pictured in hieroglyphs. They've been pictured in Mayan drawings of mm-hmm. these weird discs and you know these these oblique shapes that have a dome shape on top and have these bigger heads so yes i think they've been coming here way before the 1950s obviously well i mean if you guys are fans of rogan which you must be if you're listening to us and you don't already follow the jre companion on instagram the person that makes this is brilliant. Basically, what they're doing is they're listening to a Rogan episode, and they are super up to date. Like, as soon as an episode comes out, they listen to it, and they pick important points, maybe videos or, or images, um, references that come up on each podcast, and they post it. So right now, it is um, August 9th. 5.39 p.m. Their last post is one of those uh, pictures of art. And they oh. these guys do a great job. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah I'm yeah, showing that- Todd now. I mean, if you, if, if you love following along to Rogan and then also listening to us jabber on, I mean, that is such a good Instagram to follow. I mean, I love it to death because yeah. I get to look at, stuff that's posted and it's an excellent reminder of the important points. I mean, he, you know, picks it out great, but there's a fantastic image, which is, does it say when the art was made? 1710. Yeah. The baptism of Christ. And it just shows this disc in the sky, just yeah, that looks beaming like down an image. Yeah. You know, just like a, not an image, but beaming down something onto the people. Look, I, I want to believe they're here to help us. I want to... I hope so, because it's a lot worse if they're not. I would think, again, I want to think that if they're, if, if they're so much smarter and so much more advanced than we are, then they should be helping us, not hurting us. Well, but maybe they're just observing, you know, and maybe there is a thing like in Star Trek where they can't like fuck with a species that's not quite like at that level where they're just like just checking us out. Just paying attention, making sure that, uh, you know, we're not blowing things up. But maybe it's an experiment to them. Maybe they're like, hey, they're going to do what they're going to do. So good luck to them. Well, I mean, like Rogan said, he's almost scared to find out because maybe we're just we're just grown in a lab. Maybe this is an experiment. (laughs) Yeah. We don't know. I don't know. There's a there's enough other things to think about. I love that. All right. Well, let's call it for this week. Thank you guys so much for uh, tuning in. 
and staying with us. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks, y'all.